You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. I hope you guys got a chance to rest. Thank you for not sleeping while I spoke last week. I appreciate that. Um, I did have some people say, Pastor, listen, I won't be here this Sunday because I'm going to (laughs) rest. I don't know how to take that. I don't know if that's just like I preached so well. They like took it to heart or they're like, no, we had this scheduled in. Um, So this week we're going to be talking about discipline. It's like a 180 from rest, but it's important and it's something that God has designed, principles that God has given us in his word to, to guide us, to guard us, and to lead us into life. Now, these are important, and one thing I want to start off here is that as God disciplines us, or it's, this isn't about God disciplining us like Him spanking us or chastising us. These are disciplines that need to be in our life that God has given us in the way of principles in His Word that are important. They're important for our future. They're important for our hope. They're important for the things that God has called us to. And so they have to be in place in our life. God has given it to us in his word. And and these are things that we need to understand, that we need to put into practice in our life and live by the fruit of them in our life. Okay, so this is going to be good. We're going to pray in just a minute. Before we do this, I want to give a preview on something that I'm going to talk about next week that God really put on my heart. How many of you know what happened yesterday in the Jewish calendar? Just by a show of hands. We got one, two, two, three, three. Yom Kippur, okay? Yom Kippur, okay. And so next week I'm going to talk about two of the feasts that God commanded out of the seven that God gave to the Israelites to celebrate something that I believe is timely, that is important. Um, This isn't going to be a history lesson. This isn't going to be me, me digging up stuff and showcasing knowledge. This is going to be something that is going to bring us into the depths of the grace and the mercy of God as a fresh start, as a new beginning, as a way of understanding God's heart, God's passion for His people, and to begin, if you are willing to begin, even, I dare say, to heal our, heal our nation. And we're going to talk about two things next week, two festivals, two feasts. We're going to talk about Rosh Hashanah, which started over a week ago, that leads into Yom Kippur. And the two importance of these, of these things that, that God has ordained to show His nature and His character that is true, that is steadfast, that is pure, and that leads us into life. How many of you ever heard the scripture that says, it is the goodness of God that leads us into repentance? It is the goodness of God that leads us into repentance. How, much, how, would it, how would it be if I told you this morning that God showcased His goodness before He asked us to repent? And Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur show us that. They show us what it means to celebrate and to be under the authority of the King, the Creator. And then it reminds us that in that place of joy and celebration where we see the favor and the passion of the King over His creation... That it brings us to a moment where we humble our knee. Second Chronicles 7.14 is a correlation of this truth. And that passage says this, If my people who are called by my name will repent, will humble themselves and repent and turn from their sins, I will heal their land. What, it, what would it be to you if I told you that God gave a time once a year for the, His people to do that? And He promised... He promised, He promised 
that he would come near in this moment and he would respond and do something powerful that lines up with the goodness of his nature. Would that move you? It should. And so I want to invite you next, next week as we talk about that, okay? Because it's going to be amazing. But this week we're going to talk about discipline, all right? Here we go. You guys are like, well, can I just leave now and come back next week? Nope. Sit still. All right. So here is the, the principle we're going to start with. And go ahead and open your Bibles to Proverbs 4, 23 through 25. This is the principle we're going to start with concerning discipline in our life. Is that when we think about discipline in our life, oftentimes we get into like what I call the New Year's resolution mindset. Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad New Year's resolution guy because I create or I'll find an app that will help me create a laundry list of things that I want to change in the new year, new beginning. I'm going to be like, I'm going to work out every day at 4 o'clock in the morning. All right, just right off the bat, you know that's not happening, right? So fail one. I'm going to read five books a week. Well, you haven't read five books all last year, all right? <laughs> you know, I'm going to eat healthy, except for when I drive by McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to treat my wife and my family kinder. That's a good one, right? That's one I need to be doing. Everybody should be doing, right? I'm going to begin to think and, and be softer and gentler and and begin to understand people more. We write down all these things and we think about them, but what if I told you that the principles that bring life to us concerning discipline that God has given us don't deal first with those things on the outside, but God chooses first to deal with three key areas of our inside that can guide us in life and can bring about some of those outward changes that we desire to see. That God is just infinitely more interested in the inward being of your soul than he is actually, initially, your outward actions. I'm going to say that again. Is that God is so much more interested in the condition of your soul, the discipline of your soul, than he is your outward actions. We've all probably been in a place where we've struggled, maybe in something that we keep doing over and over again that we know is just not beneficial, it's not helpful, or maybe it's just sinful. Maybe it's just downright sinful. And we feel the pain of that. We feel the shame of that. And we go, God, I'm sorry. Uh, we go to people and say, I'm sorry. And, and, and we just look, we, we feel bad about it for a season. But then we tend to go back to that place. We call that maybe a stronghold. But it doesn't matter what you call it. The issue becomes this, is that when you spend time dealing with the outward things without having the inward things dealt with, the disciplines of the inward parts, the soul, then the things on the outside just simply won't change. And so God invites us into this beautiful journey of looking at His Word and learning from His Word how we can begin to discipline our soul. In Proverbs 4, 23 and 20 through 25, it says this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep your corrupt talk from your lips, far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead and fix your gaze directly before you. This morning, we're going to talk about the three areas of your soul that Proverbs 4 just talked about. Your heart, your mouth, and your eyes. 
Now, I, I understand that these are all actual anatomical parts of our body. We, we understand this. But actually, the, the, the author here in Proverbs is writing about places in your soul. All three of these anatomical areas actually have and deal with the nature of your soul. What our heart thinks determines our actions. Our heart is the seat of our soul. It's the place from which we move from. It's what we feel. It's what we take in. It's how we process. It's how we go through emotional things, the the highs and the lows of our life. That all goes through the filter of our heart. And God says, listen, above all things, guard the heart. It starts with the discipline of the heart. And then it goes on and talks about, listen, watch what your mouth says. And we're going to look at what Jesus said. Jesus was actually direct and to the point concerning the discipline of the mouth. And here's why. Because the mouth will tell us what's in the heart. Our mouth will tell us what's in our heart. If we're walking around mumbling under our breath criticism, whether it's to somebody else or to ourselves. If we're constantly focused on and speaking out what's negative, it's going to come out of our mouth. If we see things the wrong way, or if we gossip, or if we train our mouth, and here's the thing about the mouth today, is that the mouth is not just the spoken mouth, the words that are actually come out of your mouth. It's the things that jump off your fingers onto a computer screen, or your thumbs onto a phone through a text message. Those words are the same. They come from the same source and they tell so much about who we are. And we're going to look at a scripture in James that is just entirely telling about the mouth where God just lays down just a firm line that's so firm and says, listen, if your mouth isn't in line with the truth of my love, then you got to look at the source because your source isn't in the right place. And then the eyes. The eyes are the gateway of the soul. What we take in through our eyes, what we choose to look at, becomes what we meditate on. And what we meditate on becomes who we are. And by choosing to put discipline over our eyes, and this isn't just about not looking at bad things. This is about what we dwell on and what we think on and what we choose to absorb our time with. How many of you would agree that we live in a society today where we see things faster than any period of time before us? That you can have information coming into multiple places on your TV, your computer, and your phone simultaneously. You can have somebody, while you're doing that, text you information or updates or send you a message on Facebook that gives you an updated thing on something you're already looking at. And we have learned to process information faster than our hearts can absorb it. And what does that mean for us today as believers? Does God not have an answer for that or something to say to that? Of course he does. And it's the same thing that he said thousands and thousands of years ago. Is that you've got to put a guard on your eyes and watch and be mindful and take inventory of what you're looking at. Because you've only been called to look at the right things that are going to lead you into life. And the things that you can't control, the things that slip in, God has given you a pattern within your heart on how to handle those. All right. So let's look at these piece by piece really quick. Let's look at the heart. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. 
He says, do not store for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, here's where I want you to pay attention to. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I said already that the heart is the seat of the soul. And I want you to think about it in the way you think about a bank. When you go in, if you're going to withdraw cash from your account at the bank, you go to the teller and they've got X amount of dollars in the drawer. But where the real money is, is in the vault. Where the real money is, is in the vault. So if you're planning a heist, understand that. You need enough time to get into the vault. Okay, everybody? (laughs) Just lighten up. Everybody lighten up. The money's in the vault. And so there's a lot of things that rest and go through our mind on a daily, on a, on a second by second. But then they filter down and they sit in, the, in our heart, in our soul. And this is where we ponder them. And Jesus says some important things about this area of pondering. Now, Jesus here is actually talking about money. He's talking about material wealth. But he's bringing out a bigger point, and I want you to see this, because he's not just talking about money. He's not just talking about the things that you can gain and get on this earth. He's talking about the value of what you treasure. Because what you treasure, your heart will be there too. And if you treasure stuff above God, if you treasure relationships above God, meaning that you get more comfort and peace from a relationship than you do God. You get more comfort and peace from a toy, from a thing, a a boat, a car, a, a motorcycle, a horse, I don't know what it is, an animal, than you do God. If you begin to ponder and sit on the circumstances of your world or the cares and the concerns of your world more than you trust the resources of God, then something is out of place. And God looks at us and says, listen, that can be taken away. Eventually, that will leave you short. You're going to come to a day when the car is not enough, when the house isn't enough, the boat's not enough, the relationship fails, the animal passes away. The worries become too great that you got to get on something to take care of it. And God is inviting us to make a switch here. And the switch here comes in how we choose to guard our heart. And it means this, that we begin to trust God. I know that's simple, but it's powerful. See, there's a, a dilemma here that Jesus actually talks about that's really quite powerful. And it was probably even a little confusing to the hearers of that day because Jesus was drawing out this insane truth of this. He's saying, listen, you're, you're going to either choose to look at the things of this earth or you're going to choose to look at the things of heaven. Now, maybe in the congregation that I'm standing in front of today, that makes a little bit more sense, but it it quite well wouldn't have with the people Jesus was talking to because they didn't have a heavenly mindset. And Jesus was saying, listen, this is going to be a problem with every created person. It doesn't matter if you know Jesus Christ or not. This is going to be a problem with every created person is that the things of this earth will fail. They will pass away. And Jesus was inviting them up into a heavenly mindset. But as people who know Jesus, if you do today, if you don't, you absolutely should. 
But as people who know Jesus, he's inviting us to keep a heavenly mindset. To begin to treasure the things of who God is, the character of God, and the place of God above the things of this earth. Now, I want to do a 180 and tell you that boats aren't bad, motorcycles aren't bad, houses aren't bad, dogs aren't bad, cats are bad. <laughs> snakes are bad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We like snakes, whatever. Relationships aren't bad. My wife is, is a huge support in my life. She's an anchor in my life. Our cares and our concerns are real. And none of those things necessarily are bad. But we have to put Jesus first. We have to put Jesus first. And when we do that, God promises us something. To bring and put our treasure in a place where the things of this earth cannot steal it or take it away. And the more we begin to make a switch in what guards and protects our heart, then we begin to have a, uh, an amount of security that brings peace. The discipline of the heart begins with valuing things properly. We have to value the things of heaven more than the things of earth. And I know that's a huge statement. I know that's a big statement and that's a hard statement. But it starts with a simple prayer. Holy Spirit, will you help me? Will you help me to begin to value things according the value of heaven where my treasure should be. God, I want to make you first in every area so that I never feel the uncertainty of being let down by things or by people again. God will do that. He'll begin to direct you. He'll begin to show you. He'll begin to say, these are the things you need to let go of. This is the way you need to look at this. This is who I am. He will do it in grace because He is good. He will do it in mercy because He understands it's not easy. And He will do it completely because He is faithful. He will. He will. That's who He is. The second thing that we're going to talk about today is, I'm going to jump past the mouth. I'm going to leave that for last. We're going to talk about the eyes. Again, here in Matthew 6, Jesus is on a roll. In verses 22 and 23, it says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full. I'm sorry. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This deserves to be broken down just a little bit. Because Jesus is looking at us who believe and inviting the discipline of the eyes into our life according to his standards. And he's saying this, that you have been created, you have been created to see light. Let me say it like this. You have been created to see what is true and is good about Jesus in people and in the world. When you choose not to see that, you are ingesting in your eyes darkness. And Jesus makes this just very powerful, direct statement. He says, listen, when that happens in somebody who is created to see and absorb light in the way that they see 
and they think in what sinks down into their heart, then that is the only time, it is the only time, it is the only time in Scripture where darkness overcomes light. You guys know in John 1, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and the darkness could not comprehend it. It could not overcome it. There is no other time in Scripture where the light of Jesus Christ does not overcome the darkness of the world unless it comes to the discipline of our eyes and what we choose to take. Am I telling you, you lose your salvation? Listen to me very carefully. No, you will not. Am I telling you that you're going to be in danger of hellfire? No, you will not. But you will be in danger of allowing your heart to be turned to what you see is what's wrong and not what's right. What is false and not, and what, not what is true. And here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, that, that is a bad, bad thing. So here's a couple of principles about the discipline of our eyes. The first is this, very simple. What I see affects me. What I see affects me. What if we just thought about that for a second and thought about the things that we look at every day? Again, we process things so fast in this world. We see things so quickly in this world. Do we ever stop and consider that what I'm looking at affects me? It affects my soul, the condition of my heart. It affects my spirit, the way that I see and hear God. If you've ever scrolled through Facebook and got bitten by this real talk, real talk, everybody put your real talk hat on, all right, real talk, you've ever scrolled through Facebook and you just went, you just went, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe. And then just like that, you kept scrolling down. That, I can't believe they're doing that, stuck. And it stuck through what you saw. And it affected your soul. And it's something you got to go back and process. Because the next time you see that person in person, you're going to have to deal with that emotion that you saw by something you ingested by a, sw- a simple twitch of your thumb, right? Come on, real talk. Real talk. No, not me, Pastor. I don't do that. I just look at kitty cat gifts on the phone. It's just like, you know, you know. Cats are bad. All right. Here's the thing. We ingest, we think, we gather opinions. We gather opinions on opinions. Nobody raised their hand. Everybody here had an opinion this week on something that's happening in our country. And we could probably sit on opposite sides of the church and say, who's for this and who's for that? And we'd be divided. And then we could all stand up and go, well, tell me why you believe this. Now you tell me why you believe this. And before we know it, we would start arguing, wouldn't we? Why? Because we're ingesting something quicker than we know how to process it in our heart. Because what we see affects us. It affects your soul and then it will affect your spirit. And it affects your spirit once it hits your soul, because it will mute your spirit. Because we have all given and released something out of what we've ingested through our eyes that did not come from a pure place of God's heart within us. And we regret it as soon as it comes out of our mouth. We're like, please, 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 let me pull that back in. I'm so, 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 so sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Why? Because we ingested something with our eyes. 
faster than we had time to process it in our spirit. What I see affects me. What I see is what I become. What I see is what I become. The eyes become the gateway for my future thoughts. And what I see, I become. That's why you have to have an inventory of what you're looking at. You have to know what you're looking at and be careful about what you're looking at. You need to put a discipline on your eyes to make sure that you're spending enough time looking at the right things. Your eyes need to be filled with the right things. I know this is simple, but it's powerful. You need to have blinders on your eyes to protect you. You need to have blinders on your eyes to protect you. Just the same way that a horse would have blinders. Is that to guide them, to keep them on the path. And our blinders, what they do is they keep us on the path of righteousness. Because there are certain things you do not need to be looking at. There are certain things you do not need to spend time ingesting through your eyes and wrestling with in your soul. And allowing the temptation of things to come out of your life that do not reflect who God is in you and what he's called you to. This is part of body life. These things I understand are simple, but they're powerful, and oftentimes they're not easy to do, to take. And in these times, what we have to do is that we have to, we have to spend time concerning the things we look at to consider and contemplate what we're looking at. And when it's not the right thing to look at, we need to turn it off. We need to learn to walk away. Paul told Timothy, a young Timothy, a, a, an up-and-coming minister who was caught up in his teenage years, his late teenage years. He understood this, and he understood that even though this calling was placed on him, if you read the Scriptures in First and Second Timothy, you see this beautiful lineage in Timothy's life where Paul reminds him to stir up the gifts of God that are within him. And he says, they were in you from the laying on of your grandmother's hands and then your mother's hands. Now, moms, you got to pray. Here's why you pray, because you're raising up and you're building up. There's a ministry in you. Okay, that's another lesson for another day. But you see this in Timothy, but then Paul goes to Timothy and he says, young Timothy, I want you to be mindful of something. I want you to hear something. Don't let it just roll off your back because you're getting an opportunity to do what you've been called to do and it feels really good. But here's what I want you to do. Flee youthful lusts. Can I tell you what that means? I'll tell you what my youth pastor... Uh, <laughs> oh, I just got depressed. A, a long time ago, longer than I care to remember, told me. He said, lace up your Nikes, put your Nikes on, and start hoofing it. Start running. Get out of there. And this is a simple truth, a practical truth that applies to every one of us concerning the calling of God within us. That if we would take time to consider what we're looking at, and if what we're not looking at is not good, just to stop. To stop. To stop. I need to feed my eyes on what's edifying, not what is divisive, destructive, or tempting. Now finally, the mouth, the mouth. In Matthew 15, 11, Jesus makes a simple and direct statement. And he says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. My words are powerful, life-giving, and life-taking. 
The words that come out of our mouth are powerful. They have the ability to give life, to be life-giving, but also to be life-taking. Every word uttered out of my mouth is an opportunity to encourage or destroy someone. Here's why this is important and God considers this so as such a big deal and as a necessary discipline in our life concerning our mouth is because when God created Adam, he created him differently from all of his other creation. The scripture tells us this, that Adam was created in the image of God, that he was created in the likeness of God. And this is what this means, is that the very breath of God filled Adam's lungs. Now, this becomes important concerning words. Because what it means to understand that we're created in the image of God is that we are filled with the very breath of God. And that means this, is that every opportunity that we speak, that we allow breath to come from our lungs, out and cross over our vocal cords and out of our mouth, is an opportunity to acknowledge the Creator or to defile the Creator by defiling His creation. God looks at it at that level. Because there's no breath in your lungs or my lungs apart from God. There's no breath in your lungs or my lungs apart from God. It is not yours to possess. You did not deserve it. It was not something that you should have gotten. But God chose it. He put it in you. He gave you life. And He gave you life in the context of the way He honors you as His creation. God did not curse you when you were created. He did not spite you when you were created. He blessed you and He honored you when you were created. And the nature of God in you, the breath of God in you, as it comes out of your mouth, it carries the authority to bring life or to bring death. It's because it's God's. So our words matter. They affect people. And they must come under the discipline of the Holy Spirit. My words also tell the condition of my soul. If my words are constantly negative, then I'm absent of faith and truth. If my words are mean, if my words are hurtful, then I'm absent of the love of God. If my words are critical, I'm absent of the future And hope that God brings. My words were created to bring glory to God. And one of the ways I bring glory to God through my words. Is by the encouragement that I bring when I speak to other people. By the words of faith that I release out of my mouth that agree with the promises of God. This is what it means to discipline the mouth. And Justin, come on up. So what do we need to do to bring our heart, our eyes, and our mouth into life? The heart. This morning, if you're here and you feel like your heart has just been ruptured or broken or grown hard, I'm going to pray for the grace of Jesus Christ to cover you. And to begin to guard your heart in this area. To bring a discipline to your heart that will bring life. 
And the first thing that we have to do is we have to guard our heart from hard-heartedness. And all hard-heartedness is, is us looking at God and saying, God, you don't have the ability to change the things around me. We have to guard our hearts from hard-heartedness. As we look at the world today, as we look at maybe the situation that we are in, as we look at things that we've been waiting on, things that we haven't seen happen yet, we have to guard our heart from hard-heartedness. We have to guard our heart from unbelief. Hard-heartedness leads to unbelief. Part of bringing discipline to our heart is the ability to forgive. And this is where it might get a little sticky in our lives. Because God leads us in forgiveness and He forgives us quickly and He forgives us completely and He asks us to do the same thing. As a way to bring discipline and health and life to our heart. That we become a people that refuse to live in the place of unforgiveness and bitterness and offense. Instead, we choose to move in freedom. And I understand this morning that there's some people that are sitting in this room that have been through extremely difficult times. Things have happened to you that you did not deserve to happen to you. I understand that there are people here that have been in maybe a place where their hearts have been strained against somebody for a while and maybe they didn't bring it on, but it's just there. And you're struggling in the place of forgiveness. But I, I want to tell you this this morning, that this is one of the things, the disciplines that we need to put in practice and it has nothing, I say this in all the fullest amount of grace I can, it has nothing to do with your situation. It has everything to do with the one who is your source. And you go back to the scripture that we started with concerning the heart. And the same thing applies true about forgiveness and the condition of our heart and the discipline of our heart. As we become a people who are quick to forgive and we forgive completely. It takes us looking at Jesus Christ as the source. As the source. Because when we hang on to offense and for unforgiveness in our heart, we become bitter. And when you become bitter, your heart shuts off. Your heart shuts off. The compassion that Jesus is calling you to look at the world with, to look at your marriage with, your children with, your workplace with, your school with, it all shuts off. And the only way that we can get free from that is by saying, God, I need to forgive. But maybe the only way, Father, I can forgive today is instead of looking at what's been done to me or what's happened to me, I look at you. And I know that in you, you're able to heal me completely, you're able to set me free completely, and you're able to bring me into new life completely. And when I look at you, I can see that as a source. Another way we begin to discipline our heart is to release emotional stress. Release emotional stress. Every day, you need to have a time in your day where you decompress, where you breathe, where you detach. Men, women, you can't carry work home with you and live it 24-7. 
You can't carry the concerns of your world in. You can't allow parents your financial stress to carry over into your children. Husbands and wives, you got to let some things go. You need to decompress. If you have time and ability, decompress at the end of the day. Talk to the Lord. Talk to your spouse. Talk to a friend. But just let it out. I want to say something that's going to seem a little bit strong and a little bit, hopefully nobody takes it the wrong way. But Facebook isn't your decompression. God did not create Facebook. Period. Stop. God created you. He created your spouse. He created your friend. For you to talk to and you to decompress. And let me just give a huge amount of grace to you. You say, well, I don't have somebody in my life. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you today that God wants to be that somebody. And decompress with him. And you don't have to sound fancy and you don't have to sound pious and you don't have to sound professional to God to decompress. You can say, God, today my day was way below average. I waited way too long in line at Starbucks for that pumpkin spice latte. (laughs) Just laugh a little bit. Focus on what's good. Spend your time focusing on what's good. Now, let's just close with the mouth. I want to read to you a scripture that's going to sound very powerful here, but it's important for us to hear in James 3, 3 through 6. It says this, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn them and drive the whole animal. Or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great, fo- that, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for that, Pastor. <laughs> well, there you go. The tongue's powerful. The tongue is powerful. And it must be controlled. This is what James is saying. He goes on further and says, listen, if you curse your brother and your brother is a believer, your brother is a spouse, your brother is a child, your brother is, is a co-worker. If you confess Jesus Christ and you curse your brother, but you praise God out of the same mouth, your source is not good. Your source is not coming from Jesus. Your source is not coming from life. Your source is coming from a bitter place. And so don't we all need help here? Don't we all need help here? I know I do. I know I do. Maybe you do too. Maybe you need help disciplining your mouth because it is so powerful. Then we need to pray. And here is where it starts. Maybe you're comfortable enough to ask somebody else to help you with this, to say, listen, can you tell me when I begin to get critical or mean or, or my jokes get a little bit bent one way and, and they're, they're not funny anymore, they're more hurtful and they're more picking on somebody? Can you tell me when I get sidelined? 
But the real help is going to come from the Holy Spirit. And by saying, Holy Spirit, begin to bridle my tongue. Begin to bridle my tongue. Begin to help me understand that the breath of God is in me. So that I speak what is kind and encouraging and life-giving. Now here is a bit of homework for everybody here. It doesn't matter if you have an issue with this, if you're maybe more like me, or, or you're just great at it. You're perfect. But I want you to try this for a week. It's to speak what is kind and encouraging. And when you catch yourself starting to go, uh, just begin to just go, mm, make a motion. Be like, mm, not going to do it. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And just shut up. <laughs> shut up. My family's laughing at me up here. This is a sermon fail. For a week, give what is life-giving and, and, and kind and edifying and encouraging. And as you do it, do it when it's easy. Do it when it's easy. Do it when you feel good. Do it when you're not stressed, when you're not tired at the end of the day. Do it when you're the brightest and the sunshiniest in the, t in the day. If you're a morning person, then get the fire started early. Be like, you look great today. Hey, isn't today a good day? Boy, it's good to see you today. You want a pumpkin spice latte? But then do it when it's hard. Do it, do it when it's hard. When you catch yourself starting to say something, stop. And don't just walk away, but stop and say, Hey, I'm thankful for you. Because you're reversing something and you're acknowledging a powerful truth. I want to encourage you, don't just do this with the words that come out of your mouth. Do this with the words that jump off your screen and your phone this week. I had to do something that, that, oh, I wrestled with. I wrestled with easily for a half an hour. Somebody texted me something just straight up rude, rude, mean. I know, who would do that to me? I thought the same thing. That's ridiculous. I'm like the nicest guy in the world. You don't, you don't understand that. And so I wrestled with, listen, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba to sarcasm, like, oh, dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee, <laughs> right? We're all there. And I finally rested on nothing, nothing, nothing. Why? Because I did not have time to respond to something that my soul and my spirit had not processed yet. And by doing something, responding with my words before my soul or my spirit did something, processed it, will bring about pain. It's going to bring about another conversation. Hey, I'm sorry, my words hurt you. I shouldn't have done that. But listen, when it comes to guarding our mouth, this becomes important. And then finally, our eyes. If our heart is a seat of the soul and our mouth tells us what's in our heart, our eyes are the gateway. Create a time to disengage from what you see. Can I just give you a bit of practical information really quick? Maybe a practical thing that you can do. 
is have a time in your day that you shut everything off. Maybe you can't do it at work, but you can do it as soon as you get home. If you're in a family setting, then all you need to do is just turn the TV off, turn the computer off, put your phone upside down for 30 minutes and spend some time as a family. Turn the TV off at a certain time of the day. Turn the computer off. Don't bring it into, listen, husbands and wives, don't turn it on or bring it into the, into the bedroom. Because if that's your chance to decompress and to get your heart clear and clean, well, as, you, as you lay in bed and you talk to your spouse, then you don't need to fill it up with the TV. You don't need to turn. I know that sounds just super simple and entirely practical, but what if that's all it is? What if that's the grace of Jesus Christ being measured out to us to say if we would just simplify some things, turn some things off, have some, some zones within the day where we stop. And if your filter has gotten bad with your eyes, then there's just really simple what you've done. If maybe you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, and you're going to places, and you're doing this, and this is a reality in the world we live in, I know not everybody deals with this, but some people do, then here's what you do is you repent. You repent because it is the goodness of God that leads you into repentance, and He will bring you into life, and He will remove the stain and the shame on the guilt of sin off of you, and he will make you clean again, and he will establish you on righteousness so that you can stand steadfast. And if you struggle in this area, I want to tell you something. Listen, every person here, you are not alone. And in these areas that we deal with the discipline of our eyes, and if it's lust, if it's something that we shouldn't be looking at, then you need to not just repent and not just come under the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, but you need to put yourself in accountability. Oh, we're not accustomed to that. But I'm going to tell you something. I promise, I pro- man, I promise, your freedom is in accountability. Your freedom is in accountability. Put the disciplines in your life that God has allowed to bring us into life. And then let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for your grace. God, none of this we can come to in our own strength. God, we understand, God, that in the areas concerning our heart and our eyes and our mouth, Lord, we've all failed. (laughs) At least this guy has failed. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning and we make the space right in front of us, our altar. And we come before you as the one who is king that requires that we bend our knee to and that we acknowledge. But you are also grace and you are also mercy. And so, Lord, we repent. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've allowed hard-heartedness, unforgiveness, bitterness, offense to grip your heart, Maybe things have come out of your mouth that are not glorifying, that are critical, angry, or mean-spirited, or unkind, they tear down. Maybe your eyes haven't been disciplined, and you're not focused on the right things, and you're not looking at the right things. Then just repent this morning, because you are in front of a good Father who loves you. He desires to restore you, to put the things in, the, in your life that will lead you to a place of peace and strength. So, Father, we lay these things down before you. And, Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us the strength necessary 
to do what we need to do to release unforgiveness and offense. God, if there's anybody here this morning, Lord, that's holding on to something. Father, I thank you, God, that they were not created to hold on to that. But Lord, let them let go of that and give that offense and that hurt and that pain to you. Lord, the words of our mouth, if there's been unkind things and angry things that have slipped out of our mouth, give us the grace to speak life. If our eyes have been attached to the wrong thing, give us strength to keep our eyes focused on the right things. God, why? Because we desire to bring glory to you. And Father, we desire to let our light shine in this world today. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? 